Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Around this time of year, people start to get tickets for the big holiday classics. Like maybe you get a ticket for Handel's Messiah or a ticket for the Nutcracker. I know growing up in St. John's, Newfoundland, it was always about getting a ticket for a band that would reunite because everybody was home for Christmas. Well, the past few years, one of those tickets that's the hardest to get all around North America is the holiday show from Jinx Monsoon and Bandela Cram. So if you're not into the whole drag race thing, and it's it's somewhat new to me, Jinx Monsoon is one of the most beloved drag performers of our time. Two-time RuPaul's Drag Race winner, this year made history as the first drag queen to star in a major role on Broadway. Ben De La Creme, also Drag Race alumni, considered one of the top 15 fan favorites from the series ever. And as you're about to hear, I mean, has taken very seriously not just drag performance, but writing, producing, directing, making sure drag performers are accurately represented. What these two performers have in common is that they're incredible, like amazing singers, you know, writers, um, just amazing at their craft. And right now, Jinx and Dela are touring that hard-to-get-into show, the internationally acclaimed Jinx and Dela Holiday Show, all over the U.S., U.K., and Canada. And I got the chance to talk to them. They came into the studio uh, in drag when they were doing their Toronto show. Here's the thing. The conversation starts out like kind of lightly talking about the tour and how the show is going. Then quickly turns into how this show was born out of a lot of queer people and queer performers feeling like they had nowhere to go at Christmas, especially if home isn't a safe or a pleasant place for them. You know, and then we started talking about creating a holiday show that's for the whole family, but for the whole chosen family. And what it's been like to see this show go from fringe to tradition. Here's my conversation with Jinx Monsoon and Ben De La Creme. How are you? We're doing well. They were, yeah, were... pretty pretty well. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's the time of year where we get a little nutty. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, first, the writing process is, have you seen The Shining? Um, <laughs> and so that kind of puts us into our, um, like, we commit to the show, and it is showtime now. And we it's take like, turns being Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we, um, yeah, for four months, it's like we live in our holiday show. So uh, Christmas for you growing up, were you, were you watching these sort of holiday specials? Was this part of your... Oh, yeah. Um, uh, it's funny because Dela and I play distinct characters on stage. Dela loves Christmas. I hate Christmas. Um, but our actual backstories are the exact opposite. Christmas came around and um, it was like the one time of year we acted like just a normal loving family and everything was calm and delightful. But also, um, my grandma was the type to pr- just take in everyone who didn't have somewhere to be. Mm. So um, Christmas was the time when all our extended family came together, all the friends of the family. 
And I didn't know it, but my grandma taught me about chosen family mm. within my my given family. Right, right. <laughs> Your grandmother, because because she was so welcoming, would bring in people who didn't have anywhere else to go, or some people who didn't find mm-hmm. a, a home, or didn't find somewhere warm and, and welcome for them. She didn't know it at the time, but that that you, she was you, setting me up for to then recognize the same thing in what Dela had already been doing when we met. She's been a producer her whole career. Yeah. And we met in Seattle with her doing a holiday show she was producing then, and she invited me into it. And that was many years before we created this holiday show together. Um, but I learned the concept of chosen family as a queer person very much through um, doing the holidays with Ben de la Creme. And now I'm reflecting on all of it. And yeah, it's like I take the experiences I had as a kid that my grandma gave to me and I pay it forward through this show now Um, because I was one of the fortunate queer kids Mm. in Portland, Oregon who had a family who loved me my flamboyant clearly queer self Mm. (laughs) like Mm. I was a visibly queer visibly trans kid since birth Mm. it just took me time to realize it (laughs) so I get to take that feeling and and give that to my audiences now. And um, Dela can talk about her own experiences well, yeah. getting there. The, 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 the feeling, the, the, the vibe, uh, uh, I'm no Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. I, I, this is the first time I'm hearing I, it. I, I know you came in and you were like, is he Columbo? I was like, Peter is Falk, Peter Falk? Is, looks <laughs> different. Is that I Peter Falk? Yeah, he's, he's, he's not, he looks worse. Largely. <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 Uh, uh, what I'm inferring there is that Christmas grown up, you don't have to talk about this if you don't want. Oh, yeah, no. Not, I mean, not it, a pleasant. I grew up in uh, sort of rural New England. Uh, I come, you know, uh, I come from a long line of Putnam's, so you can like <laughs> look to the Which Crucible is, for more information on that. It's triggering to me as a witch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the, the family was very picturesque. My Christmases when I was young were very Norman Rockwell. Mm. And, uh, you know, we were in this big sort of uh, rambling farmhouse that had been in my family for generations and everyone would descend and there'd be lots of presents and singing around the pine tree that we chopped down together. Wow, and very pastoral, yes, very very American Christmas. Exactly the images on the cards. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as in my youth, there were a lot of different factors that played into this. One of them was me being very queer in a family that was not ready for that, but there were quite a few others. Um, where the the whole thing was falling apart and everyone was still clinging to it. Everyone was becoming divided. Everyone was disagreeing. Everyone was fighting. So going home for the holidays became something I just absolutely dreaded. And so I actually created my first Christmas show and, you know, Bless my father. He's a wonderful person and he tried very hard. And so I hate for him to hear this, but I created my first Christmas show specifically so I'd have a job so that I couldn't go home for Christmas. It was, you know, so this is in Seattle, right? This was in Seattle. And uh, we created a a Christmas show that we did uh, on Christmas Eve. And the first time we did it, it was I think we did two nights and uh, one of them was Christmas Eve and about 40 people showed up. And uh, a lot of them were queer folks who 
did not have a place to go. So you sort of create an alternate Christmas gathering. And by needing that myself and providing that for myself, I started to learn how many other people needed it and how many people feel really alienated at the time of the year that's talking about homecoming and is talking about family and that we need to establish that for ourselves and that these sort of traditions that my family was clinging to despite no one enjoying it, those traditions, as soon as they don't serve us, we need to create our own. And Uh so that's really where this all stems from. And is is that where this stems from like this this show we're talking about here today does that does that stem from that yeah. same sort of impulse as well well you know every year we write a brand new show which is kind of insane yeah um it's especially with the standards we set for our own work you know we both um as solo artists are very rigorous and very like <laughs> we're very staunch about how we present our art. And then when we join forces, you know, you can imagine it's a Virgo and a Virgo Libra cusp, if that means anything God, to you. My, 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 my astrology's. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry. Okay. It just means like two nerds who are like <laughs> two nerds, one's even fussy nerdier. Nerd. Two fussy nerds. <laughs> if, this, if this was the horoscope in the paper, I'd be much better off. You know, if you just two, said you're a fussy nerd every day to me, that'd be great. Two fussy nerds. Yeah. Um, who who are also they believe <laughs> that the fussiness pays off and it does so <laughs> but um I, I, I got to talk well, about a story. No, 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 You were talking about the idea that the, the, the two stories you told me about your, your both of your family traditions growing yeah. up, learning about chosen family, is what led to this thing mm-hmm. coming uh, coming together. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, as Jinx said, uh, when I was doing those shows before in Seattle, she started being part of them. and And we did become part of each other's chosen family in Mm -hmm. that way. I mean, we were spending many holidays together. And then uh, when we decided to do this for the first time, we knew that despite the fact that we're bringing something really new to it and, you know, Jinx and I have like a fun odd couple dynamic, which really just sort of naturally tumbled out of the characters we developed on stage. um, We we always knew that, um, you know, you can you can sing a bunch of like fun songs and you can tell a lot of body jokes, but at the end of the day, it's what it's about. The foundation of it has to be really meaningful and it has to be genuine. And because that's what people really are needing. And Mm -hmm. all the music and humor is like a wonderful respite from Mm -hmm. this dark world that we're in. Mm -hmm. It's like a chance to take a little break from all of it, but it's also needs to be nourishing, you Mm -hmm. know, but, the bottom line always remains that this is a show and event that is about community. The show is about this year. It's about how you can't stop doing the show. Mm-hmm. Is that is that right? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, and that's what I was before I trailed off with witchcraft and astrology. But um, <laughs> hey, I, I learned about I learned about Libras. <laughs> Things are good. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yes, we we write from an autobiographical place every year, but we take everything we do to the surreal and the absurd because we're drag queens. This year, we told everyone, create your own holiday tradition. Uh, If your old traditions don't serve you, create a new one. And now six years deep into a holiday tradition we created, we have to ask ourselves, is this still serving us? And... I think the answer is a resounding yes, but we had to do the whole journey to get there. Is that is that born out of 
truth? Is that born out of an actual? Oh yeah, I mean, every year we have to figure out how do we, how do we make this something that still resonates for us, right? And so the show this year, you know, we have a. I hate to spoil it for people, but it's um, but we we essentially have the show uh, gain sentience and uh, <laughs> and uh, we become trapped within it. We right. decide we're going to take the year off because we've sort of lost the thread of why we started doing this, and the show will not let us leave. And we have to keep finding okay, what are the ways that that you we can perform in order to end this this yeah. show? Um, but the 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 narrative came out of us having to do the work to come back to what was the intention? Why did we do this? Does it still resonate? And um, and that is that is the truth. It's something we have to revisit every year, and it's something that becomes more of a question every year. What, what was the answer this year? Oh, hell yes. So, Dela was just giving you a little bit of the plot. It's just imagine if Kevin McAllister got home alone in the poltergeist house. <laughs> it's like Chuck Jones, Daffy Duck, Duck a Muck episode, and Faust. Yeah, well, that one makes more sense to yeah. me. Yeah, that, that, that one. Well now, well, now I got it. Now, now I understand it. That was you, you know. and I don't have any shared references. We're gonna have to. I feel like I, re- I really, like I really only got the Kevin McAllister one. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel like that was. I was. I, I really just that's the only one I understood the Kevin McAllister one. All, all I understand is Macaulay Culkin every day. Yeah. That's it. You know. He's Cool. He's really relatable. He's, I feel like I grew up with him. Yeah, he did torture those poor robbers, though. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think all of our parents had to warn us not to do that. I certainly would have. You know, marbles on the marbles on the jet hurt. You know what I mean? And you uh, iron on your face. Can I even tell you how many old paint cans were in the basement of that old farmhouse <laughs> I grew up in? I mean, I had a lot of ammo. You could have swung that paint can like you wouldn't believe. You could have Kevin McAllister the hell out of everybody. <laughs> we only had one door to our place. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it and it was a window. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jinx, you were on Broadway this year. You were in Chicago. Uh, you were the first drag queen to perform in a major Broadway musical. Uh, what did you bring from your time on Broadway back to this show? I love bringing things I learn from every show into the next show, you know? Um, uh, I just feel so ready to be a performer right now because of the experience on Broadway. I made this my goal for so much of my life, and then I, I met the goal, and it was 10 times better than I even dreamed of. So it was this beautiful affirmation, but then also this realization when these amazing, amazing audiences would show up for me. The queer audiences that showed up on Broadway were just so loud and boisterous and jo- joyful, and they celebrated every performer and every performance. And and the the Broadway performers who have been doing this for decades would come off and say, we have never had audiences like mm-hmm. that. And those are the audiences I'm used to. So to be in this institution and realize that I brought something with me yeah. from the work that Dale and I do together, the foundation that we've laid down over the years to the institution of Broadway and then – and then those performers were appreciative of it, and they told me that it was like, it's the most fun we've had doing the show in a while. And and that's my job. Like, I get to have fun on stage in front of people with a purpose. <laughs> I, I, I love what you said there, because it, it, it wasn't how I was thinking about it. You're right. <laughs> I was thinking about it. Okay, well, uh, uh, Jinx does Broadway. What does she bring from Broadway 
to the to the touring <laughs> show. But what you're telling me here is that you actually brought something from from this show and from your own experience and mm-hmm. and, and from coming up doing drag shows. You brought that to to Broadway. Yeah. You 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 put that in the language Broadway. And then what I brought from Broadway to this show is just kind of at long last trusting myself. Imposter syndrome's a it really messes with you, yeah, you know? Yeah, and yeah. you can do something like win RuPaul's Drag Race two times and still think, I don't, it, everyone's wrong. It's a mistake. I <laughs> lucked out. I fell uh, backwards. Uh, I'm going to get this. found out. I'm, yeah. They're, they're going to find out that I'm, yeah, And yeah, yeah. something about, you know, just um, like having that, really formative experience (laughs) something like having a really formative experience I don't know what it is about it (laughs) but um, (laughs) no I just feel really galvanized I feel really bolstered and um, I think Dela can agree that what I brought from Broadway besides all of that is a newfound punctuality (laughs) (laughs) that I can absolutely agree with is that true is that that the case it Mm -hmm. is the case Jinx has never been uh, I mean being on time has never been any drag queen's number one skill set (laughs) but uh, but you know I I also have to say that everything in terms of Jinx bringing what she learned from Broadway I mean certainly it's like her level of professionalism continues to excel but she's always had those skills sets. I mean, so I, I met Jinx when she was straight out of college and the pipes on her, the the power she has on stage, it's always been there. And quite frankly, Broadway was lucky to have her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always get along right from the very beginning when you... We work at it. We, I mean... It, uh, significant relationships, you have to work at it. Yeah. And that's just how it is. Um, we've never been romantically entwined, but our relationship has... In case that's what you were thinking. No, no, no. I just like to... You know, I'm an open book anyway. So. <laughs> but uh, we actually have a funny origin story, which is that one of Dela's good friends said to her... Watch out for Jinx. I have a feeling she's going to all about Eve you. <laughs> now, with that in mind... Oh, you got that one. Okay. There's two references. So. Kevin McAllister and all about Eve. I don't know what that says about me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want that to be on my profile. Go on. That's fine. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, with that in mind, you know, basically when we first met, I was in awe. Well... And she said, "May I tell the story?" Go of for it. I, so the first time I met Jinx, so we, uh, she had a mentor at school uh, named Kira McDonald, who uh, had seen my work around Seattle and invited me to start developing solo work for a. a, a a solo festival that she was running and she had told us about each other and we had not met yet and I heard about Jinx from uh, I think it was MySpace um, doing a show it's another reference I get by the way yes, yes I had no problem um, yeah. she and her music partner Major Scales were doing a show at 4 o'clock in the afternoon uh, in a Starbucks for free wow. and I showed up to this thing because, you know, Kira had sort of told me about her and I showed up with a friend and there were, you know, maybe 10 folding chairs and a keyboard and, uh, you know, Jinx and Major came out of, you know, the the bathroom with the keypad on it that was their dressing room. And, uh, you know, in this, this, this humble environment with milk being steamed behind us, uh, 
proceeded to give one of the most incredible performances I've ever seen. I mean, it was, and this was an early incarnation of the Vaudevillians, which went on to have multiple off-Broadway extensions. Um, And I sat there, you know, I, I love drag. I've loved drag since I was in my adolescence. I've seen a few performers who just inspire me and excite me. I watched her perform. I leaned over to my friend and I said, we are either going to work together and become friends or we are going to become adversaries. Mm. And I walked up to her. I said, I would love to work with you. I handed her an actual paper business card. And I was in awe. I was like a biz- a drag queen with a business card. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and that year uh, I cast her in the holiday show I was doing at the time. And, um, you know, I mean, we're big. We're both big people with big personalities, but we're also, uh, I think, have in common that we're thoughtful and strive to be. We've we've just always recognized each other's superpowers. Yeah. But well, we do recognize it and we choose to be a team rather than to let anything pit us against each other. You know, and I've, I've been thinking a lot lately about how when you're a young queer person and you... Uh, sort of are very visibly queer or different or, you know, and I think this applies to many people who are not queer as well. Um, But, you know, Jinx and I sort of share this like channeling of the divine feminine, as I like Mm. to think of it. Um, And when you're young, you're sent two messages. You are a freak. You're too different. These differences are bad. And then there are those people who see you and say, no, you're special. These things about you are special. And there are these two polar opposite messages you receive. So when you find someone else in the world like you, you can either go with, oh crap, there's someone else like me, I'm no longer special. Or you can go with, oh crap, there's someone else like me. And I think that that's something that you have to continue to cultivate and uh, and find that gratitude that you're not alone and not have that messaging be you're not as special anymore. I'm Tom Power. More of my conversation with Jinx Monsoon and Ben De La Creme coming up. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude and McCartney's favorite song in his entire catalog, here, there, and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From birth to death, if you are a queer person, you have to carve out your own path. Society isn't set up for queer people. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with the iconic drag queens Jinx Monsoon and Ben De La Creme. We've been talking about their holiday tradition, their show, the Jinx and De La Holiday Show. Here's something I hadn't really thought about before our conversation. Because drag is so commercially successful right now, I mean, like as I mentioned earlier in the show, like RuPaul's Drag Race is massive. Drag Race Canada is massive. You know, drag brunches are massive. There's a lot more people interested in making money off a of drag who may not necessarily care about the art or the history behind it. And here's something special. This Jinx and Dela show we've been talking about, this big drag holiday show, 
is produced entirely by them. And they told me, and again, I didn't know this, that that's not very common to have a show at this scale produced strictly by queer performers and writers. That's where my conversation picks up with Jinx Monsoon and Ben Delacreme. I mean, it is true that with the popularity of drag increasing in the last decade, right. people have seen this as uh, anything that becomes a moneymaker brings in outside folks who want to make the money off of it and doesn't necessarily matter what it is. People who would never have touched it 30, 40 years ago, exactly. all of a sudden there's a few bucks to be made and all of a sudden are showing up wanting to produce drag shows. Exactly. Right. And so we see a lot of that now. And uh, so, but the thing that drew me to drag initially, one of the many things, was that drag queens sort of are forced to be auteurs. Like they have to do everything because that's how drag was always done. There was no, you know, now some people think of drag as a route to become rich and famous. When we started drag, it was a guarantee you would never be rich or famous and probably nobody would ever want to date you you know it was it was a lot yeah. of things that you had to want it so bad that you did it anyway and that meant that you had to scrap to find the venue to create the music to write the words to get you know to to light the lights to you know you had to do every aspect of it hot glue together your costumes um and, and what i want to say is like because we do all of that, then the vultures come in. Because we will show up with our own costume, our own script written, our own material. Then these people come in, make themselves a middleman. They might have the money to front the the project. Upfront production costs. Yeah, and that's what they wave around. But all they're doing is coming in to get a slice of something that you've poured your heart and soul into. Yeah. And that's, you know, the dilemma of this industry. So anytime that artwork can be made by the artist and produced by the artist and distributed by the artist, starring the artist, that is the best kind of art to support because there is no exploitative middleman Getting his cut for doing, and, and as, <laughs> as an artist, shag all, yeah, 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 yeah. As you know, as artists, it's it, it is just so deeply rewarding to be able to maintain that control, which really only happens because of the community sensibility we've built. You know, it's these are people who have always believed in it, and so they're really in it to make it happen, and that is how you get to grow something that really remains meaningful into something this large, and. Everybody wants to protect it and everyone wants to defend it because it means something to everyone involved. I had never thought about the vultures uh, side of it. Who did we talk to just a couple of months ago? Sasha Valor. We talked to Sasha Valor mm-hmm. just a couple of weeks ago. And, and, and Sasha and I were talking a little bit about like do, well, you know, what it means to do drag right now. Mm-hmm. You know, what does it mean to do drag? You know, s- safety around doing drag right now. You know, um, physical safety around doing drag right now. And I was wondering how much are, are, are you two – Thinking about that when you walk on stage, are you thinking at all about? I had never considered that there's also just like there's there's interlopers everywhere you go now as a drag performer. Oh yeah, I mean we've really had to double down on security, especially in the U.S. Really? Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, it's just another fun projection logistic that we get we get to think about on our end. But yeah, I mean. We, unfortunately, as queer performers, are targets. And uh, unfortunately, in the U.S., it's like you can be anyone and still be a target. But we, you know, specifically have to be more uh, careful. Um, And so our team has really, uh, you know, worked hard to make sure that all of our venues have... Unfortunately, we need to do bag searches, wanding, extra security, all of this kind of thing, which 
seems upsetting and scary, but what it does is it creates uh, the ability for people, uh, both our people on stage, but the people in the audience who might who live in a world where they don't feel safe, to come in and know that we are taking care of yeah. them in every possible way. Yeah. And for two hours, you get to be here mm-hmm. and know that this room is just all about protecting and loving you. There, there's people. There's people at the doors going to stop anything yeah. from. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. A, that's a moment to feel safe. But that's a powerful thing. Yeah, you know, society isn't set up for queer people, period. You know, like um, some cultures are better than others. Um, But it's just from birth to death, if you are a queer person, you have to carve out your own path, essentially. And it gets easier with each generation, and we've seen a lot of progress. But we are still not at a place where your whole life isn't affected by I mean, like, you know, that's why our community is so strong, is when you are a queer person, the whole rest of the world has labeled you one way, and it's not necessarily a good thing. But in the queer community, that means you are never alone as long as you find another queer person. (laughs) And, you know, and another flip side of it is that there are no rules for you to follow. And you, you know, as Jinx said, uh, many queer people are sort of forced to forge their own paths. And you also get to forge your own path. Mm. You don't have to worry about the rules that some people believe to be true. And we get to do it ourselves. And that's where, as Jinx said, we derive our strength. And that rule breaking is exactly how drag queens and queer people have gotten through dark periods in the past where they have been ostracized. And it is exactly how we're going to get through this period. Yeah. People who think that, you know, gender is natural just need to look at fashion through history Mm -hmm. and look that like the way we are dressed used to be (laughs) the masculine way to present you know like throw a little power on this way yeah you know like wearing a wig wearing velvet and like peacocking you know and it's just that you know we live in constraints long enough that it starts to feel like, well, this is the way it's always been. So, of course, you know, of course people are resistant to me living my own life because I go against what's natural. That's just what's natural now, you know? And and the only way we make a new <laughs> natural is all of us saying, we're done yeah. <laughs> with pretending like because of something someone decided when we were born that that gets to dictate the rest of our life. What what <laughs> what, what a gift then that you are able to give these couple of hours to people who are yeah. f- to feel that way especially around, around the holidays. Uh lovely to, to meet the two of you. Thanks for thanks for doing that. It's so wonderful uh, chatting. Uh, I'd love to chat with you as well. Thanks thanks for coming in. <laughs> Thank you so much. Jinx Monsoon and Ben De La Creme are my guests. They're the creators and stars of the Jinx and De La Holiday Show. They've got stops all over the U.S., U.K., and Canada. It's worth mentioning, and I mentioned this on the on the radio show, but it's worth mentioning. If you get to get to check out the photo we took, so we have this little new like photo booth set up, like Sears style photo booth set up in the back of the uh, back of the studio, where you know folks can come in and we we you know roll out the little Sears. What do you call that thing? Step and repeat kind of thing, you know, when Apple boxes and we sit down and we get our photo taken, right? Anyway, Jinx and, and, and Dela look beautiful, you know, absolutely stunning, in full drag, incredible. 
and I'm wearing a plaid shirt and I have a beard. So while we were sitting down and taking the photo, uh, we were just talking about how it looks like two like beautiful drag queens and Al Borland from Home Improvement. So if you want to just go check that photo out, it's at CBCQ on, on Instagram. Uh, the other conversation we have up today is my conversation with the legendary Cuban jazz pianist, Ilario Duran, who came in uh, to chat about his career, but also he's, he did it at the piano. So he plays music while he's chatting with us. I love that kind of conversation. I kind of want to do it a little bit more. All right, go check that out wherever you got this podcast. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.